privilege of uh, hearing uh, Kevin. Uh, did you pop in? Okay, Kevin uh, spoke last week on the contextualization of Paul from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, I'm sure for a lot it was, it was you know, maybe a... Maybe a, a part one. We'll see if there's a there's a part two because there's so much that floods us. You know, well, what about this instance, or what about this scenario, or what about this? But but in the end, when Paul says that you know I am all things to all men, Jews and Gentiles, you know, how, how then do we apply that? And there are all of these scenarios. Well, this would seem acceptable according to Scripture. This may not be acceptable. This may be acceptable to one person, but not another person, depending on their conscience. And so all of those things, there's a, there's a whole host of things. You could you know, probably have a whole day seminar on, uh, on contextualization. So as, as uh, you kind of brought that idea and even how it's played out in um, missions today and uh, even some of the philosophy, it was good to kind of you know, wrap our heads around and think about, especially as we, go, we see how the Lord used Paul in different areas to use his gifts in different ways. And we're here. We're in here in Ephesus. Here in Ephesus, mentally, contextually, we're thinking about an Ephesus as we're in the United States, trying to think two thousand years ago what Paul was dealing with. So we have to we have to contextualize, you know, even for what he was doing at that time and make kind of inferences. Well, what would that look like today? Um, but Paul was in Ephesus, you know, a uh, major city, of the Roman Empire, a major city uh, in Asia Minor or Turkey. Um, on the uh, on the coastline in western Turkey, and you know while he's there, he's had a t- an opportunity to stay and minister for a couple years, teaching every day, uh, discipling every day, and so far we haven't seen too many uh, problems pop up. You know, again, Luke's account of that is is brief, is uh, only a chapter dedicated to all of the things that are going on. But even when you read the letter that Paul writes to the Ephesians. It's very positive, not having to correct many doctrinal errors. Um, and uh, we see, though, as Paul is trying, as, as making that decision to leave, so two weeks ago, <clears throat> we kind of got to part one of what we were talking about, is that Paul is making his decision to leave Ephesus to go back to uh, the, the places that he went during his second missionary journey to go encourage them. I kind of brought up the fact that there were some things going on in Corinth. It's likely he made a trip to Corinth. While in Ephesus, he wrote several letters. While in Ephesus to Corinth, um, and again, some difficulties are happening that are maybe gauging whether he's going to go or not. He sends uh, Timothy um, ahead of him and uh, to Macedonia. And uh, as he's there in Ephesus, you know, kind of waiting, we see that something now comes up, right? And it's, it's usually, if we kind of have that as a backdrop, that the Lord uses certain events to then finally say, all right, now it's time to leave. Um, Paul, again, felt this com- com- uh, compulsion in the spirit uh, to go to Jerusalem before Pentecost. Um, and actually, he wrote somewhere else that he was going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. But then we see in, uh, here in Acts that he's now changed his mind to go to Jerusalem by that point. Um, and uh, along the way, he needs to, to make his, uh, wants to encourage his disciples, probably take an offering up uh, when he goes to um, Macedonia, when he goes to southern Greece. Um, and uh, he's just waiting on when's the right time to go because of some of the things that he's written to the Corinthians, he, he wants to time it correctly. He doesn't want to just show up before they process some of the things that, that he's talked about. So um, we see, you know, last week or two weeks ago was that uh, we saw there was a financial issue that was, you know, starting to affect some of the tradesmen there in Ephesus. And essentially, Paul, you know, discipling every day, 
Um, preaching the gospel was leading people to Christ. And if people are led to Christ, some of them are being led out of the major um, you know, uh, cult worship there was to the, the goddess Artemis. There's a huge temple there. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And uh, because of that, people are now converting. Well, that's, that's one thing. You may think it just affects the, you know, maybe the, the priests there or the, maybe even the priestesses, those that work inside the temple. But it had a ripple effect that those that were making shrines, that those were, that were silver makers and craftsmen that actually made uh, these, these, uh, these idols to worship, their trade was being affected and it was affecting their pocketbooks. And so it was brought up last week um, that there was this issue. And we'll read that and kind of dive into where we're at. So let's start in Acts chapter 19, verse 21. I'll read. Now, we covered this ground, um, but it's good to kind of, you know, since we're part two, to read, you know, what was going on. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Verse 23. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. And that's where we kind of left off and and kind of pressed upon our idea that the fact that when something hits us financially, when something kind of threatens our security, when I say us, I'm just saying humanity, people in general, that we often react in a particular way, that we often react with, you know, either anxiety, we may act with, um, you know, a sense of helplessness, we may even act, uh, react in the sense that we want to, um, you know, stem whatever is happening by either attacking, you know, the, the thing that is, you know, threatening us, or we may run away. And we see here that these men, uh, these craftsmen, were attacking what they perceived as a threat to their business. You know, Paul wasn't di- attacking them directly, but they saw that as an indirect threat and that must be stopped. And so that's kind of what we're going to pick up today and uh, see what, what started as a personal threat then kind of became a public threat. So those that were craftsmen, it was affecting them, but they made it a bit, you know, they made it an attempt to then uh, spread that and see how now the whole city of Ephesus is going to be affected as well. Now, when we think about kind of injustices, you know, something that is going wrong in the world, how do we typically react? How do people react? If you see something and, you know, you may, I don't know, watch a video, hear something on the news, and you're just like, that's just not right. You know, how do, how do you typically react and process those things? Or how do, how do people typically react and process those things? And again, I'll say it's different, different for different people. How does that look? What's one way that somebody could, uh, could react to an injustice that they perceive? Okay? Anger. 
All right. What do you think their anger is directed at? Okay. Yeah. So somebody could see something, say that's not right, react in anger, and say that person needs to be stopped. Okay. How else can how else can somebody react? Okay. They could try to help. All right. They see some sort of injustice, and they they come with more of a compassion angle and see. You know, these people need to have their, their minds changed or helped or aided. Uh, there's reasons that maybe they're acting in a particular way. Any other way, ways that people can react? What's that? Protest. You can protest. You can say you can gather up people. You can say we need to rally people around the cause. We need to make it known whatever this injustice is. Um, the reason that people aren't doing anything is they're just not informed. What's another way that people can react? What's that? Political or legal, legal actions, they can say, you know, we can go to Congress, we can try to have laws made, we can lobby, we can, you know, go from some other angle, we can say we can actually have it as, as a part of our cultural fabric to uh, make laws against this thing or for this certain thing to stop this injustice, okay? There's a lot of different ways that people can react. How do a lot of people react? Post it on Facebook. Post it on Facebook, right? <laughs> Post it on Facebook. It's kind of a new form, right? But it's, it's the same thing. You know, either, either I want to let people know or I'm just acting out of emotion and I'm just like venting, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, so you see that. And you see that in real time where people lie. And so you get, to, you get that opportunity to see, you know, inside uh, people's hearts. A lot of time, probably, and I might be this, this one, especially when it comes to Facebook, is I don't, you know, there might be I don't do anything, right? And some of it is to avoid the conflict, to avoid the, you know, I'm not saying for everything, especially for Facebook. I usually try to stay out of it in that. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a reaction to not do anything, to just kind of like let it go by. Maybe it's to process it. Maybe it's to say, like, you know, let other people do it. Maybe it's an ignorance. Maybe it's a, something else. And so we, we react in different ways to whatever situation that we see and so we're just seeing kind of a slice of something that's going on that is being perceived as an injustice. This injustice is this, this man and his beliefs are affecting our way of life, and we need to do something about it. And so this is kind of something where people are being swept up in order to act and to react against whatever this is. And so verse 28, we'll read this paragraph and then kind of, kind of dive in verse by verse into... Um, what we see here. So when they heard this, meaning reacting specifically to um, verse 27, there's danger not only that this trade of ours, so there's that personal business aspect, may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. That was like their identity there in Ephesus, and so that was being attacked. When they heard this, the craftsmen, those that were at this meeting, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And most of them did not know why they had come together. 
Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Okay, so how did Demetrius' speech affect everyone else? What was, what was the response that he had and that they felt? Again, different reactions by different people, but this group was what? What's that? Was riled up. Was riled up. Verse 28 says, they were enraged. Um, the word is, they were full. And you kind of say, like, full of what? I don't know. They were full to the fact that something was brimming up inside of them. And you see then how it spills over and in the speech that, that they said. So that idea of enraged, they were probably full of emotion. They were full of something, but they were full and that they went out and uh, were, were re- repeating. Now, it's interesting. What did they, what did they, what did they say? What was it that, that they vocalized as their, as their issue? They were full of rage, and then they went out and they said what? Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. That was kind of their rallying cry, right? That rallying cry. What do they, what do they not say? That really, we, we saw was kind of the underlying, maybe, maybe personal issue that hit them. This is hitting us in the pocketbook. Yeah, so... <laughs> Our business is ruined. Our business is ruined, right? They didn't say that. And so they, what they, they cried out was, was, again, you know, Demetrius, you can see that he kind of hit that as that first kind of wave. Like, this is affecting us financially. It's going to affect your livelihood and how people even look at what you do. You're going to be looked at as maybe like a tax collector, you know, what you see in Scripture, is uh, making these things. Um, and, you know, now it's then, then Artemis, who this whole city rallies around, is going to be affected. And so they were like, no, we're going to reemphasize and, and uh, say that great is Artemis, which would then mean, if Artemis is great, that would then mean what they do, which is in building these things for Artemis, would now be you know, looked at with favor. And then maybe they could even say, let's buy something for Artemis. I, you know, great is Artemis. Let me buy something. And that would actually encourage you know, financially for them as well. And that's their rallying cry, even though personally it's hitting them different. And again, when people react to different situations, you know, if you say, like, why are you so angry? There's probably a whole host of things. Um, that people are reacting to when you see this kind of situation. Well, what was so special <clears throat> about Artemis? Um, I mean, Artemis was the she was the goddess of hunting and fertility. Uh, sometimes looked at, you know, although there, I guess there were several goddesses that were kind of in charge of fertility, but sometimes uh, Artemis was looked at as a capricious god. So women who were pregnant, um, if there were any complications with the birth, it sometimes was was maybe I don't know blamed on Artemis. Uh, the fact that she wasn't worshipped in her right standing. Um, she was uh, worshipped all over Greece, and uh, specifically in certain areas, especially in ancient Greece, in, in Sparta, they would make sacrifices before they would go to war, um, because she was also goddess of the hunt and goddess of the woods and some of these other, uh, other, other areas of life. But there in Ephesus, she was referred to as Lady Artemis. She kind of had like a different persona there in Ephesus. It was Artemis, but it was kind of an elevated sense of Artemis. Even in the, um, the icons and the things that were worshipped, Artemis looked different there in Ephesus than in other places. Artemis almost looked kind of like an Egyptian god in some of the, the descriptions. Uh, people believe that maybe... Uh, Artemis kind of overlaid um, a Persian goddess and kind of adopted some of those 
those elements. But Artemis was who was worshipped there in Ephesus, and they revered Artemis specifically in a special way. And there's places where the temple had uh, been burned down a few times, and during a rebuild, um, there were others that came outside. One was Alexander the Great and offered to help uh, uh, offer assistance to rebuild the temple to Artemis, and they kindly refused because this was our God, and they wanted to make sure that their God they took care of because their God would take care of them. And so you see this kind of interesting relationship. And so for Artemis was also the, the temple there was one of the seven wonders of the world and uh, almost spoken of as one of the um, higher of the seven wonders of the world. It was said that when the sun set, it eclipsed all of the other wonders that were out there of those who beheld um, the seven wonders of the ancient world. And so they had, a, again, a special um, connection with Artemis. It was their source of pride. It was their source of identity, not only for them there, but also for previously up to that point. And so when they go out and they start, start crying out, great is Artemis, you know, the people would say, of course, great is Artemis. It's like, you know, if you, know, if, uh, if, if you want to take one of your sports teams who, who does primarily does well, you might rally a group of people if you go to a particular area that would just rally behind you by just chanting, you know, great is our team. And so, yeah, great is our team. I don't know why we're out here, but I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm with that team. And so for the city, great is Artemis, that was kind of a rallying cry. I don't know, is this a, is this, are we in a festival here? I'm not really sure, you know, but, uh, you know, I'll come out and hear what's going on. And that's what was, was going on. And so how, does, how is it described? The city, though, is, is filled with what? Verse uh, 29. What's that? So the, the men, the craftsmen were filled, and you know, that idea you know, kind of applied is that they were filled with rage or emotion, and then they fill up the city and stir them up, and that this, this idea is confusion. That interesting word is that that word confusion is actually poured out. It could also be described as shed, as like shedding blood. And so this idea is that the people are filled up and poured out. That essentially, if you kind of get this idea that they're, they're going out of their mind um, in this frenzy, in this fervor, to, uh, to rally behind the great Artemis. And so... As they're kind of saying these things, whipping the people up into a frenzy, kind of repeating some of these things, and it says they rush together where? Into the theater. Now, the amphitheater, has anyone been to Ephesus? I haven't been to Ephesus. Okay, so you've been to Ephesus. And uh, have you been to the theater area? So can you imagine the size of it? Okay, yeah. So, you know, when we mentioned this uh, a couple weeks ago, um, Glenn had said the same thing. He's like, I'm just kind of seeing this right now. So the, the amphitheater held about 25,000 people. So, you know, large for, for, you know, if we think of just kind of stadiums and, and sense of how many people that it would hold. It had a diameter of nearly 500 feet. Um, if anyone's seen the Roman Colosseum, it's about similar dimensions, maybe slightly smaller than the Roman Colosseum. Um, but again, would have held a large group of people, a large crowd. You know, there was a couple hundred thousand people in the city. So it was there to... Um, uh, one of the main uses was to have public meetings. And so the people rushed into the theater. And, uh, you know, maybe that's why they were going. Maybe they wanted to hold a town meeting. But whatever reason, that was kind of where they, they prompted uh, the, the city to go. And so along the way, they grabbed two people. Who was it they grabbed? 
<laughs> What's that? Yeah, so Gaius and Aristarchus. It says that there were two Macedonians. So two Macedonians. What, what churches are in Macedonia? Do you guys remember? There's a few churches. One of them would be a church that we're, a letter that we're going through right now. Yeah, so Thessalonica, we have Philippi, we have Berea, we have some of those churches of, uh, in the area there, so it's kind of northern Greece, and that is the next place that you know, Paul and his companions are going to go. But along the way, that he, you know, some of these guys have come along with them, along, and it says they are his travel companions, and Aristarchus and Gaius are, are two of those that were mentioned. Um, we're going to see that Aristarchus is going to travel with Paul to Troas when he leaves there next, and so he, he actually will come along with them. He's mentioned a couple times in some of his letters. Gaius is mentioned uh, about four or five times in other places, although some commentators say that Gaius was a popular name, so it's hard to identify whether this Gaius is the Gaius that is in some other letters. But... Um, we're not exactly sure. But this is actually the second time that, that somebody else is grabbed in place of Paul, right? You have like people that are like, something's happening, we need to do something, let's go grab Paul, you'll do, you know. And so they grab somebody else. Um, there in, uh, in, Thessal- in Thessalonica, Jason was grabbed and he was pulled in, in front. And, uh, you know, they had, a, they had, remember, they had to give a, um, not a bribe, but a bond for, for Jason. Um, and then Paul said, okay, I'll be, I'll be leaving now. Um, but these two guys are, are pulled in. We don't see what happens, you know, to them. Um, you know, Paul wants to go inside. You know, he wants to go in. I, I need to, you know, I can't let them just, just be there. But, um, you know, cooler hair, heads are prevailing. It says that this group uh, encouraged him not to go, which actually two, two different groups. What, was, what were these two groups? Encouraged him not to go. What's that? So verse 30. Okay, so the disciples would not let him go. So his own people were like, hey, Paul, don't go in there, right? You know, they want you. They're out, they're out to get you. Like, it's, it's not good. There's a huge crowd, uh, and you're just one man. And then it says in verse 31, even some of the Asiarchs. Now, that's kind of a group of people that we haven't seen before. Um, but it's interesting. The Asiarchs, their job was to worship, to actually encourage the worship of the Roman emperor. Like it's kind of Roman cult worship. And which, you know, the head of that would have been the Roman, the Roman emperor. And sometimes you kind of hear that in different areas that, right, the, the, even though they worshiped these other gods, you know, the emperor was sometimes was looked at as a god himself. And sometimes that was, got people into trouble if they denied a reverence for the emperor in that sort of way. And it was the Asiarchs that their job in different parts of the Roman Empire was to kind of encourage the, the worship of the emperor. You'd see that's almost unlikely a group of people that would um, encourage Paul to stay out of it, but they're not in the Artemis camp and, and uh, obviously um, are associates in some way with Paul. It says that they were friends of his, and they sent him and said, don't go in there. Don't go in there. It's best not to go in there. And that's also, we see kind of the, the influence that Paul had and, and how wide-ranging his influence had been while he was there. You know, again, being there for a couple of years, he seems like he reached out to as many people as he could. And even going back to what Kevin had taught on last week, that Paul said, you know, I, I will engage with whomever, right? You know, I'll go to the Jews, I'll go to the Gentiles, um, I'll speak to them in, in order to bring Christ to them. And so Paul is encouraged not to go. And it says, uh, 
Verse 32, now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. Kind of the idea is that they're not even sure like what the actual reason is. You know, let's go into the theater. Why are we here? I don't know. It's because of this here. No, it's because of that error, that, this issue. And so we kind of see this idea of, of the people aren't even exactly sure what's going on, but they're swept up in there. They're there in the theater, um, and they're hoping you know, at least to get some sort of something resolved. Again, they're, they're emotionally whipped up. And so some of the crowd prompted Alexander, right? You know, some said one thing, some said another. And so some was like, yeah, let's listen to Alexander. And Alexander uh, was put forward by the Jews. It's not really um, known whether he was representing the Jews. He was a Christian who was Jewish. And so he's kind of representing Paul um, and kind of that background. But it really doesn't matter because... You know, they motioned him up to make a defense and kind of speak, you know, about what's going on. And as soon as they recognized he was a Jew, because he wasn't, wasn't a Gentile, wasn't one of them, didn't care about Artemis, and he was speaking as an outsider, um, you know, they, they just drowned him out by saying what? Yeah, the same thing that they kind of brought them into this, they continued that. Just imagine, for two hours, that's a long time, for two hours just kind of chanting. Uh, it's kind of, I don't know, when I, when I get, hear people that like rally around, you know, if you ever listen to like long enough, you know, sometimes they kind of die down, you know, and then they have to like be rallied up to, to say whatever it is that they're, you know, protesting or whatever, because for two hours, that's a long time to just keep repeating, you know, the same, the same idea, but great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So people are being, being swept up into this. Now, I want you guys to picture that idea. If, if, Others are being swept up into attacking others. How should we respond as Christians? How should we respond as Christians? We'll leave it general. Leave it general. You see, like somebody is being attacked. And you would say, in your mind, unjustly, unjustly, what would you say would be a way that we should respond? What's that? Defend. Defend. Okay. (laughs) How, how so? What does defense look like? And again, this takes a lot of different, a lot of different elements, right? So, well, I don't know what the scripture says. It says, as far as it is up to you, make it your ambition to live a quiet life, not involving yourself in the affairs of others. So that would make it sound like. St- <laughs> <laughs> that make it seem like stay out of it, right? Stay out of it. What what is what are how are we? Okay. You might get bit. You might get bit. How what are we supposed to promote as believers? Peace. Blessed are what? Yeah, blessed are the, the peacemakers, right? And uh, in as much as we're able to promote peace, that we should promote peace. And so it takes probably different angles, right, of what's the situation, how many people are involved, you know, what's the end, end, of, uh, uh, end effect. But, but we should have in our minds, right, to live at peace with all. And in some sense, we should stay out of it if this is an affair that doesn't involve, you know, us specifically. But if it does, you know, Paul is being swept up to this. He's, he's being attacked, He's you know, in a sense that, you know, uh, he is blaspheming Artemis, because we'll see that in a second, that, that maybe is one of those charges. Um, how should we respond there? 
How should you how should you respond if uh, you see that something is going on? You know, like Paul. So if you see now Christians are being attacked, believers are being attacked. In some sense, there are affairs that are the world's affairs, and, and to live at peace, we sometimes stay out of those affairs. But it's hard, really, to stay on the sidelines. Right? It seems like, especially in our culture, you know how pervasive. What's that? I said, well, they did. They, uh, they involved uh, Paul because he was the one that was inspiring all this in the first place. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so what they tried to do is protect Paul in terms of him to leave before he did get caught up in it. Yeah. So that was, that was, that was what the Christians did there. Right. Right. But also Paul was not hesitant to use the legal means at his disposal, like in Philippi and mm-hmm. also in Jerusalem. Uh, you know, they were going to beat him, and he asked, well, would it be beat a Roman citizen? <laughs> well, and, and we, we've probably already seen so far, and Paul, I mean, you could probably see Paul's, Paul's like, you know, defense, because he sees two other people being brought into this, and he should be that guy that, that is in there. But... Is this crowd thinking rationally? <laughs> you know, and even if Paul went in there, you know, you know, who's to say what would happen? And so you also have to pick your battles and your time of when it, you know, when it's appropriate, right? There are appropriate times. Uh, there are appropriate times to respond, and there's other times to 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 stay out of it. Again, you know, making a defense if you're being asked, but also trying to live at peace. Um, with others, right. so I kind of want to want to think. Reason here, the, this is pure emotion. That right. Can't for two hours the same phrase over and over. Right. Right. I think, I think it's important too. They were not just saying great is Artemis. They were saying great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Mm-hmm. That, that's important. Look who they dragged. They didn't drag Ephesians into the you know, Gaius and Aristarchus. They were foreigners here in Macedonia. So the the. The tradesmen quickly switched this from being a you know a risk to their business to a, a nationalistic thing. Yes, they dragged two foreigners up there, and then they, they re- when they recognized the guy that was the Jew up there, Alexander, they went nuts, and it became very a, much a nationalistic thing. And that's why I said, Paul, don't go up there as a foreigner. You're not going to win this one right now. And and you know I remember when we were missionaries in, in uh, Ukraine, the first place we went. And it was right after the revolution happened there, and Ukraine had taken control of their country for the first time in their whole history ever. And there were a lot of these kinds of meetings down in, in, the, in the town square of Kiev. They had huge, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. And every missionary around the world was always told, don't go anywhere near a meeting like that. Now, that wasn't a persecution of you know, Christianity or anything like that. But uh, just that's how most missionaries were. You don't, you don't go anywhere near this. They, they follow the advice of the patriarchs. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and in Paul's history, I mean, as eloquent as Paul is, as, as, as much as he can give a defense, you know, 
he's bold when he's he's given that form to be bold, but there's other times that he was bold and he was stoned, <laughs> right? And he was thrown out of the city. And so you can also see, you know, he's got some measure, but probably for him wanting to go in there is kind of overriding that in, in the sense of wanting to, to help these guys out. But thanks, Kevin, for mentioning that. Yeah, again, just bringing us back to the idea that they're all from outside kind of coming, you know, uh, they're in their city, and they're the ones that are being, you know, looked at as the problem. Um, and we have that mentality, right? You know, we can, we can have that mentality of blaming others, um, especially if they don't fit in uh, to whatever paradigm we have. It's also very interesting that they're, they're chanting how great Artemis is, and their whole worry is that their goddess or goddess is going to be toppled. Yeah. <laughs> just how great is she yeah yeah right right well in that sense you know you know uh she doesn't she doesn't have uh yeah that that power that that the god that paul has um is preaching yeah 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 right and us, the craftsmen and the tradesmen who promote this Artemis, and again, it's kind of a self-feeding cycle, um, you know, to, to make them feel better. So now we see, you know, it went from a personal threat to kind of now a public threat, and now we see an even greater threat, um, which actually helps calm down the, the, the crowd. Verse 35, and when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, Who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly, for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify the commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Okay, so we see somebody that comes up, and he, he is one of theirs. Now, what is this town clerk able to do? He's able, he's able to calm the crowd. He's able to quiet the crowd, right? They, they thought maybe Alexander will, will bring him up. And again, how respected he is. He's a leader of the Jews. You know, maybe he'll talk. Maybe he can have some standing. It did the opposite. It, it got them into you know, more of a frenzy. And so we see the, the town clerk is able to kind of get their attention, is able to quieting them down. Now, the town clerk, he's responsible for overseeing public assemblies. So whenever they would have a public assembly there in the theater, like he was the guy that was kind of in charge of that. So he would be the person that they would look to to hear, especially because after a while, it's kind of like, now what do we do? Well, you know, what, what can we do with this? Um, they haven't broken into, um, you know, harming these people. Not that, you know, Luke doesn't mention any of that. And so they, they've kept at least somewhat civil, but they're all chanting the same thing. And he was the liaison between the city of Ephesus and the Roman officials there. Again, remember, Ephesus is you know, a Roman colony. They're you know, under the Roman Empire, and so there would be Roman officials there, there would be proconsuls there that would be appointed by you know, Rome, which is, again, not there in Asia Minor, another place. And so they're just, again, having to obey the other authorities. So they self-govern, but there is a limit to their self-governance. 
And remember the proconsuls, whenever we see something happening, their job is keep the peace, right? We don't need this going further up because if we can't keep the peace, then I'm out of a job and me being out of a job could be me being dead. And so for them, they want to keep the peace at all costs. It was like one of the things that just, I don't care what you do, just be, do, be, do it quietly, right? You know, that was their kind of parenting. So, um, so they're like, just don't let anybody else know. And so that's, that's, that's where the town clerk is like, okay. Like me being the liaison, I have to let you know that if this keeps going any further, there might be some greater threats that we have to, um, to have to keep in, in mind. And so it could mean restrictions that would fall upon the city themselves. It could be taxes. You know, again, they were, uh, they were allowed certain freedoms that Rome may just take away if they continue their behavior. And so there's a few things that he appealed to. Um, what was the, the first thing that he appealed to? What does he mention? <clears throat> yeah, you keep shouting that, but go, go anywhere and say, hey, what do you think about, what, tell me about Ephesus. And almost everybody would say Ephesus was where, you know, one of the seven wonders. They wouldn't have maybe said it that way, but they would say, well, that's where the temple to Artemis is. And so they, they, they would say that Ephesus is the, the keeper of this great temple. Who doesn't know that? Just go anywhere. It was widely known, widely spread. It was understood. So he kind of just appeals to quiet their emotion, and he, he speaks to them out of reason. Like, everybody knows that, that Artemis is great and greatly known. You don't have to keep, keep saying that, right? Maybe a little bit, but now... You've, you've hit your limit. And then he, what's that? That's really annoying. It's really getting annoying. Yeah. Town clerk, I've given you two hours and two hours is enough. You know, somebody else is coming here. They've rented the theater. We need to get out of here. No. Um, <clears throat> he appeals to this thing of the sacred stone, which uh, we don't know anything about. It might be a meteor. Uh, it's interesting that um, you start uh, looking into um, uh, Muslims and kind of the, their, uh, their, um, they have a, a sacred stone as well. It was a meteorite called the Black Stone. It was something that uh, people worshipped pre-Muhammad, um, but they, they have it now in a part of their, their great grand mosque in Mecca that um, Muhammad supposedly kissed this relic. Um, and so people, when they do their pre- pre- pilgrimage, they still kiss that relic as well. Again, not the same thing, but kind of an interesting side note as uh, the fact that it's not a part of our religion, but it fell from the sky, so we'll incorporate it in there because it's kind of really cool. And so there's some sort of sacred stone that really nobody knows what it is that's a part of this, but the town clerk kind of appeals to this idea, this thing that people know how great Artemis is and that we have the sacred stone here as well. So calm down, do nothing rash. Just you know, let me appeal to your greater reason. So the first thing he says, appealing to their reason, is he says they've not spoken anything ill of Artemis specifically. He says they're neither sacrilegious. Uh, that word actually is a temple robber. Um, it could be means specifically like actually like taking from the temple. They haven't like done anything. Like they haven't robbed the temple. Or it could be, you know, some would apply that to say maybe robbing the respect of the temple. Um, and has not done anything, you know, uh, to disrespect Artemis herself. What has Paul said about gods in general, or gods that are made by human hands? They're what? They're not gods, right? That's, that's the extent of what Paul is saying. I mean, if you wanted to press him, he would say, like, Artemis is, you know, it's a god you worship, but the god that I worship is the only god. Well, what do you think about Artemis? Like, he, I don't know how... how 
you know, knowing the law, if he went and said something specifically against Artemis, you know, that might get him in trouble, but he's not speaking specifically against Artemis because he really doesn't have anything against Artemis specifically. He's got something against all gods that aren't the one true God. And so, he, but he hasn't said anything to offend people specifically. He's just saying, I believe that they're not gods. And philosophers would have done that. They would have spoken about, you know, things uh, in that nature as well. And so he's appealing to the reason, like, they haven't done anything that has gone against the law. But, number two, if you want to bring the law into it, let me give you some channels about how you can vent your frustration. You can take a formal complaint, right, to the court, which is the proconsuls. You can take them right now if you want to do that and go there. The proconsuls are set up. They've got their shop. They're standing by right now. Act now. You know, you can go talk to them and bring, bring this matter to the proconsuls right now. And he, he calls out Demetrius and the crew. He knows who they are and uh, those that are, are kind of, you know, causing this disturbance. And so you could do that, or you could settle it in a regularly scheduled town meeting. And he's like, that's not now, right? Let's, you know, bring it on the docket. We'll go docket. We'll have a formal, you know, meeting and, and kind of do that when it's regularly scheduled, not something that is impromptu. So, um, you know, so those are the, the channels that you can take. But what you can't do is you can't meet now because the third thing, so he's appealing to the reason. Everybody knows great is Artemis. You need you calm it down. You can go to the law if you want to. Or thirdly, if that isn't enough to kind of persuade you in how to act right now, we are in danger of harm if we continue, right? Right? We we are going to be looked at as causing a riot. We're charged with rioting. So there's no, you know, so we can't justify all the commotion, all the wonder, what's going on. And so if we don't do that, there's a greater threat to our livelihood, and he appeals to that. Well, all of those things seem to work, right? He appeals to their reason. He appeals to their sense of the avenues that they can take if they want justice to be heard. And the fact that if you don't zip it, then Roman guards are going to come in, and we've got a bigger concern than Paul and your business is a lively, and your livelihood as a silversmith. And so it says that he dismissed the assembly, and uh, the riot ended, and the people left. They're like, okay, that sounds good. I guess I'll go back to what I was doing before. So that was an interesting thing that happened today. Um, but now it's over. And so what that leads to, in verse 1 of chapter 20, is after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. So what did this event spur on? What did this lead to for Paul? Yeah. After the uproar ceased, right, after everyone dismissed, and he's like, okay, everyone good, Aristarchus is good, okay, guys, are you okay, that's fine, let me encourage you guys, I think that's my signal that it's time to go. And again, we see that every time that something happens, you know, that kind of Paul is involved in, he, he's like, I just need to, to go away and draw heat off of the situation um, and pull out and uh, leave it up to you guys. We'll leave it up to you guys. These Ephesians, it's up to you guys to carry on your church. You know, just like other missionaries that go into a place that establish, you know, help establish a church, help get discipling going, help kind of encourage the group, and say like, okay, now it's up to you to take it over. And we see that Paul's like, okay, now it's time for me to get going, and we're going to kind of pick that up, you know, uh, when we when we come back next week.
So again, we see that God will use whatever means to get Paul to go. And all the while revealing the hearts of the Ephesians. We kind of see that in our, in our own hearts, some of these things. So how can we use this? You know, we can, we can understand how economic um, and identity threats you know, can cause people to act irrationally and you know, kind of draw others into this. We can understand how individuals or groups can be targeted as responsible. And we can understand how God can use these events to move his people. And what does move mean? Well, for Paul, it was physical moving, you know, getting, getting on to the next place. But for us, it may be move to do something else. You know, maybe move to get more involved. It may be move to get less involved. It may be move to reach out to some sort of group. It may be re- reach out to understand why a person thinks this way and is reacting a particular way. And so the Lord can use all these things in order for us to understand, to draw us closer to certain people And the ultimate goal is to um, share with them that the God that they worship, the thing that they worship, is no God at all. And that the God of this entire world, whose Son is Jesus Christ, is whom people need to give their allegiance to. That is the only hope for the world um, that is in darkness. So a lot of things kind of going on that we kind of draw out of this uh, riot. But things that we can even see in our own society, in our own culture... Um, especially as we turn on the news, look to see what's going on, that these things happen every day, and uh, we can be grounded in maybe how to, how to respond and to act and think biblically. All right, is there any, uh, any thoughts or comments, something you want to add to the discussion before we dismiss? Um, yeah, I definitely would not see it as a fault with Paul. I can see, <clears throat> you can see sometimes Paul's, uh, you know, maybe see how Paul is built. And, and I think sometimes we can understand that for your own sense. You know, uh, maybe I, when I talk to people, they perceive me as being confrontational. So maybe I have to approach it in a different way. You know, you can maybe see kind of like how, you know, start to develop maybe character characteristics of Paul in general. But I wouldn't say that's a fault in Paul. I think there are things that, you know, maybe he was, you know, you can see maybe you were too bold at this scenario. But again, that's all under the Lord's sovereignty and how he acted and what he did and uh, how people responded. And we see that the Lord uses that in a particular way. Um, But it is a natural consequence, a natural reaction that Jesus even said, you know, you you, uh, preach, you you talk about me, people are going to persecute you. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. It's actually maybe might signal that you're saying the right things. <laughs> um, that if you talk about the gospel and no one ever says, you know, well, that's weird or that's odd or good for you, you know, uh, like Tim, Tim had mentioned, right? You know, that's a natural response to the gospel that uh, just continue to be faithful. So again, you do kind of say, well, maybe I said that a little too harshly or maybe I said this in the wrong way. Again, the Spirit can kind of, you know, encourage you to maybe say things in a different way. But, not to water down the gospel, but say it in a way that, that perhaps could be more appealing. And the Lord will use that um, how he wishes. That's a good, good question. Good question. I think another good thing to notice here is the racist element, like, like I mentioned before. You know, wasn't uh, Paul or the Asiarchs or his disciples who promoted Alexander up there? Notice who, who, who pushed Alexander up there and tried to call him? The Jews. Yeah. 
because they realized when this became nationalistic or racist, they were in trouble. And they had to protect themselves. I mean, Ephesus was a major city. Yeah. And so they had to calm this crowd down, or things are going to go bad, not just for Paul, but for them too. And I think, you know, you're, you're going to see, I know you, in the next chapter, you already see the Jews coming after Paul. Yeah. This, this is, you know, they're, they're realizing, wait a minute, if we let this guy go, not only is it bad for our Judaism, but it's, it's bad for us you know, in the marketplace and being able to live here. Yeah, because the Jews already had a target on their back. They were allowed to, like, be peaceable and amongst the city, but there was always tension between, uh, between Rome and, and the Jews. And, so, and they knew that. Um, so it was political, but it was, uh, as you said, it was racist, racist as well. So, All right, well, we've kind of hit, hit that limit. So let's uh, pack up our chairs. We'll move